And here we go. Um, it was truly a masterpiece. I don't know about all that. Ugh, absolutely the worst movie ever. Hands down, bar none, the greatest action spectacular ever. Well, uh, the other one just stuck them up. Are you asking me? I promise I'm not going to sing this time around. Welcome to the Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Kavanagh. With me as always, Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. Yes, we will waste your time with pure rubbish, as was proved from last week. But anyway, that's behind us because Spooktober is over. We are now in November. And all that we ask of each other is don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Zach. Evil died last month, Justin. It did. <laughs> kind of, oh, but man. not really. <laughs> that movie fucking sucked. Did you watch the screen rant, uh, the pitch meeting on Halloween Kills? I don't think so, no. It, ju- it just came out today, and it's awesome. And they <laughs> they talk about that. He's like, yeah, you know, and they're all going to say evil dies tonight. He's like, yeah, I-, I got that. You already said that. He's like, yeah, I know. But, you know, like, we have to make sure it- people know that evil dies tonight. <laughs> he says it like 30 times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. stupid. But, uh, but hey, man, how's it going? I'm good. No complaints. Good. All is well. Good to hear. I had a neck issue the other day, but it's better now. So I, I can't complain either. And if I did, no one would really want to listen. So I would know. listen. Well, I, I make it my it. business to listen to people's complaints. <laughs> You're like a customer service rep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Then I write it all down in my dream journal. <laughs> I steal their identity. Yeah. I have their problems because I don't have any of my own. Oh, I'm sorry. I got problems. That's, that's I got 99 problems. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My problem is, do I want the Dr. Pepper there or do I want a Sprite? <laughs> All <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, so as we record this, October is winding down. We're pretty much done with it. Um, how are you doing with your horror movie watching for October? Uh, I've been pretty good. I jumped on the Squid Game bandwagon and I watched that in a matter of, I think, like four days because I think there's nine episodes and really loved it. I thought it was excellent. I thought there was a lot of cool thematic elements throughout it. Uh, a lot of interesting choices, uh, really cool stylistically. Um, but uh, I'm excited for this eventual season two because you just kind of have to. So, yeah, it was definitely worth the hype. Uh, Squid Game was fun. And then I watched uh, Child's Play 2. I started watching Child's Play 3, but it's really bad, so I had to turn oh, it off. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. the only one I've seen, the one at the military school. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 real bad, so I had to turn that one off. Um, and then I do plan on watching The Shining um, in uh, preparation for my costume on Saturday. And then I also need to do... Um, there's a few other horror films. Uh, David from Geek Garage Podcast was telling me, like, Creep is really good and uh, Wreck. That's a like, TLC record. song. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Crazy Sexy Cool. But uh, Wreck or whatever, Record, I guess that's uh-huh. a good found footage one. So I don't know. I have some options out there. And of course, I think like, you know, every Halloween I, I put Halloween on as just background fodder. So we'll, oh, uh, we'll see. Yeah, nothing too, nothing too intense. Uh, I did sign up for Peacock and I was looking at all their options, but I'm already kind of bored now with what they have. So <laughs> that was quick. I know. Yeah. But what about you? Um, my goodness, I've been watching a lot of Seinfeld and then I'm plowing through it. I'm on season seven now. And then, uh, Game of Thrones. I restarted Game of Thrones yesterday. I don't know why. You know, what's crazy is I, I got two episodes in. I haven't, I haven't watched it since it aired originally. Right. But watching season one 
and I'm two episodes in, and they were like these. Each one of these episodes was pretty high in the fifties, like fifty five minutes or so. I'm just like, fuck, I've been sitting here for two hours watching Game of Thrones. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is going to be a journey. I mean, I remember everything. And having read the books and all that stuff, it was all, you know, very, very familiar stuff. Yeah. But um, holy smokes. I always think it's so funny when, like, you know, the king shows up with his court at... at, at uh, uh, Winterfell? I called, yeah, I almost called it Westfall. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Winterfell. And it's like 10 people walk through the gate. And you're like, okay. They they have budget problems. It's I just know. like when they have the, the the jousting tournament, and there's like four people in the stands, and and most of them are Starks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then obviously, you know, that was the first season of it. Then it really blew up. But I agree with you. It's hard. I do want to do a rewatch of them, but I mean, that is a journey. You're talking at least at least a month or two's worth of of watching. So that's a lot. Yeah, it's a heavy watch because like there's so many characters and there's so much you know, plot building and all this stuff where it's, and it all plays out just fine, but it's just the setting up and the setting up and the setting up. And I'm just like, fuck. And then when you watch all these characters and you're like, that guy dies, that guy dies, that guy dies. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. I'm already setting myself up to be depressed about certain things. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, and I will, I'm actually going to link game of Thrones to what we're talking about today too later. Oh shit. Yeah. going to link it. I'm glad you like squid game. Um, I plowed through it pretty quick myself. Um, episode six. Oh, my God. I was like in tears. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That was a hardcore. Episode, that was so man. hard to watch. And I was so sad. And then, yeah, just. Uh, but yeah, it was a tough was, one, that, man. That was a, that was probably the best episode of the season. I agree. And uh, it was it was needed too. it was one of those ones that really just sort of sealed the deal for how you felt about characters going forward oh my god song was such a piece of shit i knew he was gonna switch out the marbles and i was just like (laughs) fucking asshole man (laughs) so it's a bit much yeah uh, so anyway um moving on are you ready to talk about this week's motion picture show always all right so uh, we're going to do a new one again. We're going to do Dune from 2021. This movie just came out last Friday. Uh, so if you're doing the math here, this looks like it would be the 22nd, I suppose. I think if you wanted to go to a midnight show, it was technically on Thursday and it was at 6 p.m. Uh, so you did get to do that. Uh, directed by our buddy, Mr. Denis Villeneuve, uh, who you might know from Sicario, Arrival, Blade Runner 2049, and Prisoners. And uh, it was written by John Spaths, DV, and Eric Roth. So that's exciting. The cast includes Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, Jason Momoa, Stellan Skarsgård, Stephen McKinley Henderson, Josh Brolin, Javier Bardem, Sharon Duncan Brewster, Chang Chen, Dave Bautista, David Dastmalchian, and Zadenya for seven minutes. Those of you keeping score. <laughs> seven minutes. Yeah, she was in the movie for like seven minutes of screen time. Oh, oh, uh, yeah, actually, that's true. She obviously plays a bigger role in the later in the books and everything like that. But for sure, sure. Yeah, do what you can do. It's a half a movie. You, yeah. You, yeah. you got the soup, but not the sandwich. No, 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 that's on its way. Yeah. So I got to reheat it. See, right, right. <laughs> so uh, critical reception, 84 percent on the old tomato meter there. That is from the critics. The audience actually likes it a little bit more. It's at a 91%, which is pretty good. I'm right there with it. I, I would say that score, make it, make it a sense. So Screen Crush 
Matt Singer says, a spice journey to an amazing future. That's cute. Richard Brody from The New Yorker says, the movie stripped down material world correlates with a stripped down emotional, one narrow, facile, and unambiguous period. There you go. I don't know about all that. Some people just don't like stuff. <laughs> I mean, we've already established that. People in Chicago hate everything, so <laughs> they're yeah. it's just weird. I mean, I, I don't understand why there are so, so many uh, people that are just upset with this movie, but I don't know. We can talk about it later. All right, so Charles Bram- Bramesco from Inside Hook, he says, um, Villeneuve has pulled off an impressive feat of sheer craft that is very large yet very empty, full of wondrous sights, but shot with a staunch lack of wonder. Man, I, I just... I don't know what movie he watched. This guy's wearing corrective lenses in his (laughs) photograph. Maybe he uh, (laughs) left those at home when he went to the motion picture show. Yeah. Maybe he watched the 1984 version instead. Yeah. Man, my fuck. I I was a total mouth breather during this film. My mouth was open the entire time. Yeah. It's so crazy. Um, Anyway, the budget was $165 million. It did. uh, I believe it ended up being 50 million. Maybe it was 41 million. 41 million. Uh, here in North America, worldwide, you're looking at an impressive 223 million. So uh, it's got some, it's got some ground that it made up on that budget, which is always encouraging. And uh, I'm excited about that. Why don't you tell me about some trivia? Heck yeah! So uh, Denis Villeneuve confirmed in a Vanity Fair article that his adaptation of Dune will split into two films in order to ensure that the original story would be preserved and not cut into a million pieces. However, contrary to the common practice of filming several installments back to back, only the first movie, which roughly covers the first half of the source novel, was greenlit and produced with an optional sequel depending on how well the first film performs. And today they did announce that they have greenlit the uh, part two which was uh, really fun. I love that this movie opened up and it said Dune Part 1. I thought that that was a really brilliant tease uh, because, you know, we just thought it was going to be like a 1984 thing again where they put the entire (laughs) book into one movie. And I think that they did a fantastic job with the two hour and 35 minute runtime for Part 1. So that got us all hyped. Episode 4. Yeah, very happy that they are doing Part 2. So David Lynch, director of the previous Dune in 1984, stated that he has zero interest in Dune 2021. He cited that his issues with the new movie have nothing to do with director DV, but with his own painful memories of making the 1984 version. Because it was a heartache for me. It was a failure and I didn't have final cut. I've told this story a billion times. It's not the film I wanted to make. I like certain parts of it very much, but it was a total failure for me. I could, I understand that. You just don't want to keep watching it over and over again just because it was such a hard point in his career, I, I assume. So, I mean, he was chastised and raked over coals, but um, yeah, I figure. Hopefully it changes his tune a little bit. Hopefully he will just see it. So, I don't know. And then finally, uh, Denis Villeneuve saw Baron Vladimir Harkonnen, uh, who still in Skarsgård plays, as a rhino in human form. And so Skarsgård had to spend seven hours a day applying makeup for his role as the Baron. That is a lot. That is a full-time job almost, Justin. Seven hours a day of makeup. Yeah, that's brutal. He wasn't in the movie very much. No, but, but he looked good. It's interesting that as soon as, the first time I heard them say Harkonnen, I was blown away because I've called them Harkonnen my entire life. Me too. When I was reading, so I, I've read the, the book up to the first half, which worked out really well for me for this film. But uh, yeah, I thought it was uh, Harkonnen. But uh, I, I think it's just all in. I think the audiobook says Harkonnen, and then the film does the same thing too. I don't really know how they were able to figure it out, but I'm just going to go with the film. <laughs> so Harkonnen. Yeah. 
there's yeah. a there's a ton of different words in this in this movie that will definitely be like, uh, yeah, we're going to probably mispronounce it. So it is what it is. Oh, yeah. And before before we get into the synopsis, let's just for the record state what our uh, our knowledge of Dune is prior to going into this movie. For me, it was uh, the David Lynch film, uh, both the theatrical cut and an extended version and conversations from my from the time I was a whipper to the time I was a full grown man. And I I have never been a fan of Dune ever in a billion trillion years. I've never read the book. I've picked it up a thousand times, but I've never read it. I would pick it up. I would hold it. And like like Superman and Kryptonite, I would just feel pain <laughs> and I would throw it on the other side of the room. I hate it. Martha. So yeah. Why did you say that name? Yeah, exactly. So that that is that is the extent of my do knowledge. However, I will add a caveat to that. Uh, Sunday morning, I got into it with Rob on our Discord channel, and I got a bit of a crash course on Dune. It was it was about an hour long conversation, texting back and forth on Discord, and uh, I was generally correct about most of the stuff that I knew uh, when I, but I did get some additional insight. Because as I compared to him, I was like, it's basically been a 40 year game of telephone with other people on my knowledge of Dune. <laughs> you know, like as I'm in a car, we're chatting about it. As I'm at the office, we're chatting about it. As I'm on Geek Legacy, we're chatting about it. So it's just been, you know, a series of conversations that have brought me to this point. That is the extent of my Dune knowledge and lore. Yeah, I have not seen the 84 version. It's still on my list. But at this point, I mean, I don't know if I want to watch it. Um, I did pick up the book last year when, you know, we thought this was going to come out in November 2020. So I was all geared up for it. But I kind of took like a hiatus just because I'm bad with reading books. And I read up to page like about 350. And then I just stopped for months um, turns out it worked out really well in my favor for this film. So that was kind of cool. But um, I mean, I had the conversations with Mark, who's been on this podcast before, who's a big Dune fan, and he said some very eloquent stuff about it. And he loved the movie to death. Uh, I actually was surprised to see uh, what Rob tweeted and, and what he was saying. Um, I don't disagree with Rob, and, and I'm not in a place to disagree because I'm not a, a uber fan uh, with, with uh, Frank Herbert's world. Because, you know, there's like, what, four other books. I mean, there are people who know this history. It's it's just like Game of Thrones in that sense, where people know that entire world, the, the houses, the families, and it just gets it's a lot. You need like a, a, a chart to draw on. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, the world of Dune and the House of Atreides and the Harkonnens and all that, it's it, it goes real, real deep. So even the Benny Gesserit, I mean, they, they they go real, real deep. So I think you and I, we could we could classify ourselves as new, uh, Dune noobs. It's hard to say fast. Dune noobs. Right. So. I think I called myself that on Discord. Dune noob. Dune noob. More like dumb. I'm yeah. alright. I'm alright. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, as a heads up, this is a spoiler filled synopsis. So if you have not seen Dune Part 1 2021, uh, please maybe not listen to this podcast. Give us a five star rating, but don't listen to this podcast. So. <laughs> right. And, yeah. and we should mention also that it is both playing in theaters and available to stream on HBO Max. Right. Absolutely. It is so. accessible totally. for folks. Totally. I'll even give you my login. So in, Wait a minute. <laughs> in the year 10,191, Duke Leto, uh, the first of House Atreides, ruler of the ocean planet Kaladin, is assigned by the uh, Padishah Emperor Shaddam Carino IV to replace House Harkonnen as Fife Rulers of Arrakis. That was a lot there. 
Arrakis is a harsh desert planet and the only source of spice, a priceless substance that extends human vitality and is critical for interstellar travel. That's that Matthew McConaughey film, see? In reality, Shaddam intends to have House Harkonnen stage a coup to retake the planet with the aid of the Emperor's uh, Sardaukar troops, eradicating House Atreides, whose influence threatens Shaddam's control. Uh, Leto is apprehensive, but sees potential to ally with Arrakis native population, the Fremen, as the first step towards increasing the Atreides standing in the Landsrad. Leto's concubine, Lady Jessica, is an acolyte of the Bene Gesserit, an exclusive sisterhood wielding advanced physical and mental abilities. Although Jessica was instructed by the Bene Gesserit to bear a daughter to become a mythical superbeing, Kwisatz Haderach, uh, out of love for Leto, she bore a son, Paul. Throughout his life, Paul is trained by Leto's aides, Duncan Idaho, Gurney Halleck, and Mentat Thufir Hawat, while Jessica trains Paul in Bene Gesserit disciplines. Paul confides in Jess Jessica and Duncan that he is troubled by visions of the future. Because of these visions, the Reverend Mother Gallus Helen Moheim uh, comes to Kaladin and subjects Paul to the Gom Jabbar, a deadly test to assess a subject's impulse control, which he passes. Later, Moheim uh, instructs House Patriarch Baron Vladimir Harkonnen to spare Paul and Jessica during his coup, which he duplicitly, duplicitously agrees to. House Atreides arrives at um, Arakin. I think it's Arakin. Yeah. The stronghold on Arrakis formerly held by House Harkonnen, where Idaho and an advance party have been learning about the world and the Fremen. Leto negotiates with Fremen's chieftain Stilgar and meets planetologist and imperial judge Dr. Liet Kynes. Kynes informs Leto, Paul, and Halleck of the dangers of spice harvesting, including giant sandworms who travel under the desert. There and back again. Uh, during a fight, they spot a sandworm approaching an active harvester. Leto rescues its crew before the sandworm swallows it. Paul is exposed to the spice-laden air and experiences intense visions. After a failed attack on Paul's life by a Harkonnen agent, Leto places his soldiers on high alert. Souk Dr. Wellington Yu uh, disables Arakin's protective shields and allows the Harkonnen army and disguised Sardaukar troops to overwhelm the Atreides forces. Yue, that's what it is, Yue. Yue in incapacitates Leto and tells him he made a deal to deliver him to the Baron in exchange for his captured wife. Yue replaces one of Leto's teeth with a poison gas capsule and is killed after del delivering the Duke. Leto releases the poison gas, killing members of the Baron's court and himself, but the Baron survives. Idaho escapes and steals an uh, ornithopter, but Paul and Jessica are captured. Harkonnens take them into the desert to die of exposure, but they overpower them using the voice. Finding a survival kit left for them by Yue, they spend the night in a tent. The Baron hands over command of Arrakis to his brutish nephew, Rabon, and orders him to sell spice reserves and restart spice production to remunerate the cost of the coup. Paul and Jessica are found by Idaho and Kynes and head to an old research station, but are quickly tracked down by Sardaukar. Duncan and various Fremen sacrifice themselves to allow Jessica, Paul, and Kynes to escape the facility. Kynes, cornered by Sardaukar troops, lures a sandworm to devour them along with her. Paul and Jessica reach the deep desert and meet the Fremen, along with them Stilgar and Chani, the girl in Paul's visions. Fremen member Jamis uh, protests their admission and is killed by Paul in a ritual duel to the death. Against Jessica's wishes, Paul joins the Fremen to bring peace to Arrakis. So that is Dune Part 1. And as you can tell from the synopsis, there is a lot in that. <laughs> I'm actually pretty impressed with how I was able to pronounce most of it. And yeah, it's actually great. It's actually Kwisatz Haderach. That's how they say it in the film. And that's how I read it in my head when I was uh, reading the book. So Kwisatz Haderach. 
Um, yeah, I feel I feel like they have a slang term for it. Uh, they do on Arrakis. Yeah, uh, Lisan Al Gaib is what yeah. they have on Arrakis, and then also um, Madi. Madi is Madi. Like, yeah, Mad- that's a short one. Yeah, that's like the hey, that's the the prophet. That's you the know, guy. <laughs> the guy. Hey, hey, that's a fucking guy. Right there. Hey, you yeah. walking here? So, yeah. uh, you know, you know, normally when we normally we ask. Uh, at this part, the start of the, the talking points, we asked when the first time that you know we both saw this film and what our reaction was. And it's important to note again that we are both noobs to the Dune universe, for the lack of a better term. So I'd like to know when your very first exposure, like what age, what year, that kind of stuff, to the Booker film, uh, when that was for you, and how was your reaction? Sure, I can tell you right now. I was thirteen years old. Uh, in the year of our Lord, 1993, <laughs> and fucking I watched it with Gene Dean, and he loved the movie. I hated every second of it. Even fast, at 13? Oh, my God. I hated it so much. And then fast forward to 1997, I watched the extended edition. Hated that one even more. <laughs> Holy shit. I was so mad. I was irritated with the world. No one could touch me. No one could bother me. I had to find a safe space until the hatred dripped <laughs> off my body i just sweat it out god it's terrible hope you wore your still suit so you could drink that sweat again so <laughs> yes then sometime in the i want to say it was like in around sometime between 99 and 2002 probably there was a a mini series that was on maybe like sci-fi or something yeah i and think sci-fi i i popped in and out of that for five minutes and i was like nope i'm feeling it it's coming that's my secret, Captain. I'm always angry, and like I had to, had to just dip away. Couldn't do it. Fascinating. So yeah, yeah it, it never worked for you. So that's why it's uh, you know, it's really surprising um, with, with this with this movie. I mean, what did you think of Dune 2021? We'll just jump to that right away. Like, so sure. you didn't you didn't like the original? So what did you think of this? Right. So a big selling point for me right off the bat was the director. Um, you know, Denis uh, Villeneuve is one of my favorite working directors right now um short of i'm one of the few humans that didn't really enjoy arrival uh but i love everything that the man does I, everything's beautifully shot it's an awesome storyteller i've told said a thousand times that sicario is like one of my favorite movies uh add him with this amazing cast i i just had all you know everything and you know all my faith was put into the, to the director and the cast in this movie and i loved every second of it from start to finish Absolutely. I I was blown away. So I I do think if this was, uh, you know, like, let's just pretend for a second that Spielberg decided that he wanted to make Dune. I probably would have hated it. (laughs) I mean, probably it's it's, it'd be a vastly different film. I guess that's the biggest thing is, is I mean, Spielberg can do sci fi, but not in this scope. Right. I I think think. I think maybe if it was like, you know, Ryan Coogler, you know, I probably would have saw it because I like him a lot, too. Mm -hmm. Um. You know, like a couple of directors out there, I probably would have given it a shot. Uh, but DV is probably my favorite working actor. So I, I felt like I owed it to him and to myself to see this movie. So I did. Well, then let's just jump to that real quick. Question five, actually. So uh, Denis Villeneuve, it's like we said, he's responsible for for one of your favorite movies of all time, and that is Sicario. Uh, we did that on the show. It's an absolutely brilliant film. I didn't appreciate it until like the third time I watched it. I, I've liked it, but after the third time I watched it, like in preparation for our podcast, absolutely blown away by it. And it's got my boy Roger Deakins as, as the uh, DP in that film, and it just was so phenomenal. So... 
he is just his grand spectacles in in other films like Blade Runner 2049 Arrival and now Dune. I mean, Blade Runner 2049 and Arrival were these sci-fi uh, groundwork the, the for him to get into Dune, for him to be able to, you know, have a carte blanche to be like make a sci-fi film. He solidified himself as arguably one of the greatest directors of our generation. I mean, after seeing Dune, I can easily say that. I think he is one of the greatest of our generation. And while he's not like a Tarantino or a Nolan or Spielberg, like you were just saying, he definitely has a distinct style. What are your thoughts on this, on his style? And is it too early to look at him as one of the greatest? Or, I mean, I know I'm being subjective, but uh, do you think it's probably a pretty accurate statement? Um, I mean... I would probably use the, the phrase uh, working director. Like, I mean, he's he's very active in making projects. Um, so he's one of my favorites. I, I love everything that the man does. My minus arrival. I mean, I can I can recognize that arrival is cool in its own way, um, especially with like the language thing that they had going on. But I mean, I do think that he's one of the best working directors. Uh, right now and i think it's an absolute privilege to be able to go and watch his movies i mean i'm totally just like s- sucking on the on the dvt as it were <laughs> um but i mean there's a couple that that i really 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 enjoy that are working right now you know like edgar wright ryan coogler wes anderson alfonso coron um fucking Guillermo del toro if i haven't said him already yeah. uh, i mean there's a couple out there that i just feel like i owe it to them to see their stuff you know what i mean yeah. I feel like I'm doing myself a disservice by not watching their films, telling everybody to go watch their films. And and I would I would totally rank DV in that category. He's he just has such an interesting style. And I mean, it's all over this film. And I mean, I know you didn't really like Arrival that much. I actually really liked it. I thought he did some really fun work with um, the creation of just, uh, you know, his environments. And that's that's the biggest thing for me and the most immediate thing, because I saw this film in IMAX and this is the first time I've seen a Dune film. Um, I kind of know about the story, but but that's mostly just from what I read. Uh, I could not sit here and tell you about the histories and stuff other than the shit I learned on YouTube. But when I saw this in IMAX, it was it was one of the greatest feelings in the world. And and how he how he manipulates the screen and uh, and and uses the right actors and it just everything around it was so fucking beautiful. It was it was a sci-fi epic to say the least. And I mean, there's a reason why now anytime his name's attached to like a sci-fi film, I'm like, yeah, I'm definitely going to go see that. I don't care if it's awful. I'm definitely going to go see that. But <laughs> he was knocking it out of the park. Like, I don't know if he saw Prisoners, but that was a pretty awesome movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. just talking about that with because uh, Paul Dono gives me the creeps. He is and, a very creepy guy. And since he's the Riddler, and I just kind of I see him in that role, you know, in sort of a in a jigsaw sort of seven way you know i think that paul dono is very much a creeper and will will bring a new level of of crazy to the riddler character mm-hmm. and so that was that was my first uh dv movie i think was, absolutely uh, yeah and uh, i mean he just you know he just gets better from there enemy it was it has jake gyllenhaal it's supposed to be pretty good i don't know if i i mean i've never seen it but uh that's one i should maybe check out now but sicario arrival blade runner 2049 i mean he just keeps kind of going up and he's doing these these big works of art it's like 2013 2015 2016 2017 and then 2021 so he's been dormant for for a while and i mean granted this movie was probably filmed in 2019 right yeah and it was supposed to come out in 2020 so yeah so uh, i mean almost a a year ago to the day pretty much so i mm -hmm. mean that isn't fair to him and no, you no, can't no, no. make a next one until this one was greenlit, which obviously happened today. So, yeah, 
Absolutely. So it's uh, it's 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 pretty fascinating. But um, okay. And then with that, actually, too, I'm going to jump to number six because I uh, it kind of as a follow up question almost. So I mean, I just sat here and I praised uh, Denis Villeneuve and and everything that he does. One word that comes to mind when watching his films is scope. And I was kind of talking about that with with the everything like seeing this in IMAX, you can look left and right and there's something going on and it just looks so big. And I don't know, or at least I can't think of many directors that manipulate this, the on-screen environments to show just the scope of a world that fully immerses the, uh, the viewers as good as uh, Denis Villeneuve does. And I was hooked from every scene in this film and felt like I was on Arrakis with our characters. Did you have any of that feeling at all? Yeah. Um, in fact, when I shared my initial thoughts uh, Sunday morning, the first word that I had was scope. <laughs> it literally says scope. The world building was fun in a way that that we knew there was so much more to this universe than what we were shown. Yeah. Uh, scale, the planets, the ships, the worms, they were huge. Obviously, the little bug ships were small, carrying anywhere from you know two to 12 passengers, but they also looked small next to all the larger stuff on the screen, like all the other transports, um, including like the spice, the spice harvesters and the troop carrying vessels. And then the costumes. Oh you know, I love all the outfits in this <laughs> oh, yeah. movie. Uh, House Atreides, House uh, Harkonnen, um, you know, even even the, the the Freeman or Fremen rather, um, you know, all their outfits looked really fucking cool to me. I I, I love the shit out of them. Um, it's just absolutely gorgeous. Is the you know, film is stunning. The landscapes literally made me feel like I was another on another planet when it showed all the different worlds. Um, same thing in IMAX. You know, I'm I'm in row six and I'm just in it. And that was intentional. I like <laughs> I like sitting in the last row uh, before the gap that leads to like you know the next higher up seats. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's because I don't want anybody kicking my chair and shit like that. So that's like my favorite spot. And I was right oh, almost dead center, one chair away, damn it. And I was just in these worlds. And uh, like, what is it, Kaladin? That's the name of the yeah. Atreides world? Yeah. So like when when it shows the mountains and the and the lakes and just and the rain and the forest and all that cool stuff, like I saw that there was this whole other planet out there and they were just this, they're just in this tiny castle. That's that's on this planet and it looks so fucking cool. And so it was just all of that, like a culmination of all these things that literally made me feel like I was on another world, not like a green screen world, but literally on these planets. And I thought that was so freaking cool. It helps with the the Oh, go ahead. Oh, I just say it just it really helped with the experience. Like you're saying, you feel like you're on the planet. I mean, so in the first movie, they don't really spend time on Kaladin. In this, it looks like you'd go to like Norway or the Pacific Northwest or something, you know, for right. lack of a better place. And you're like, holy shit, this looks like a real thing. And and just the, the the hues and the filters that they use for the lenses, you just really feel like this is a rainy and wet world. Like he says, we have sea power and we have air power here on Kaladin and we need desert power. Right. So, and when, when it switches yeah. to Dune too, or Arrakis rather, they you can see the wind blowing the sand. Yeah. You know, you can see the spice in the sand. You can see just the heat. Like everything about it just looks, it looks miserable, but beautiful at the same time. <laughs> yeah, like, absolutely. Like I, I want to be in like, you know, Whatever that cruise ship was in um, uh, Flossin Paradise, oh, in, like yeah. fucking the Fifth Element. I want to yeah. be on that ship going around Dune, uh, going around Arrakis <laughs> and just checking it out. Um, that's what I want. And like, I loved every moment of this movie, Zach. Like, literally everything. When even when I saw the palm trees, I was just like, 
Those aren't native to Arrakis. <laughs> <laughs> they shipped can't them from have, Hawaii. So yeah, can't <laughs> have no palm trees on Arrakis. And uh, it was so funny. I literally thought of that. I was, I was watching it. It was just a nice you. touch. I believed you, know? you for that too. And then he even says they're sacred. And I thought that was really special. Like, you know, they he's he's cultivating life on this lifeless planet. And I thought mm-hmm. that was so crazy. And I and I loved it. And so, you know, just just the very idea of of all these things going on, obviously there's the House of Trades and the Harkonnen, um, but but just the the Fremen, uh, you know, they have built a world here, and 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 they can survive on this planet, but no one else can without their help. And I and I just love that. I think it's cool. Yeah, I mean, just just the, showing the the ships, the size of the ships, uh, everything around it. It was so vast, and you're right, absolutely. The sandworm was so much bigger than we saw, like in the '84. Because I mean, I've seen stills of the '84 sandworm, and mm-hmm. you know, it's like a sock puppet. But this thing was just like, holy shit! So everything on this was such a, a grand scale. And like when the attack happened, when the Harkonnens and the uh, Sardaukar like came down, and ships are exploding, they're like the size of cities. I mean, they're just huge, and it really gives you that that scale of what this world is and one of my favorite shots actually is when paul steps off of the ornithopter and he's walking over to the spice miner and you just it's a shot a low like choke shot almost of his feet walking in the sand and the wind is blowing it's just so gorgeous it reminds me of mad max fury road when furiosa falls down in the sand and she's all upset because she just learned about the green place being a myth it's just a, a gorgeous shot of the wind whipping and you really see, I mean, the desert, I've never grown up in a desert. I didn't, I've, I've not spent much time, but that's my idea of a desert. And I'm like, pass, hard pass. Yeah. It, lo- it looks yeah. dry. It looks hot. I don't have a still suit. So yeah, I, as someone that has spent about 13 years in the desert and never wants to go back ever in a million <laughs> years, um, I can concur. It's terrible. But um, the sunsets are always amazing. Yeah. But, uh, you know, one thing that, that helps with the the scale and the scope is that we're never really seeing what's happening on the ships. We're always just seeing exterior shots of the ships, which I think is interesting. Aside from the the little normal transports, like the two or twelve person transports, mm-hmm. we are we never see inside the big ones, which I think is really cool mm-hmm. because then it just gives you this idea that it's just this giant floating city. You know what I mean? They're huge. And I really dig that. Totally. Even the compounds, you know, um, on uh, Arakine, the the city that they live in, it's it's it it just looks gigantic. But we only see maybe like four or five rooms. Really, we're right. just led to believe it's a it's a full on compound. And so, it's it it's just massive. And I I think that's what's so cool about this. It's show don't tell. And back to uh, Villeneuve, uh, he's he's so incredibly good in this film. And one of the, my favorite aspects of it is uh, we talk about exposition a lot. And I'm with you with how well this film was paced and how I wasn't bored at any moment. I mean, I had a big icy about an icy for some reason, and I'm sitting sipping it. And I like didn't want to go to the bathroom because I loved every single minute of this. And uh, for, for the uneducated like me, it's it's very hard with a backstory like this to um, kind of explain what Spice Melange is or kind of explain what how uh, the Fremen walk in the sand. And, uh, you know, he's he plugs in the exposition with uh I, I don't know if you want to call it diegetic learning, but things that Paul's doing or they talk about, oh, you know, they're attacking this place. That's where we mind the spice. They're going to do this. The Fremen are uh, crazy fighters. They they fight like hell, but they're honorable people. So you learn so much in that. And uh, Villeneuve is really, really great at 
having a moment of exposition and right before it gets to a point when you're like, okay, we get it. You're explaining everything to us. He cuts to a beautiful visual or he ties it into the environment or the story so well. And I think Mm -hmm. that was my favorite thing about it because you'd have like a vision with Paul uh, and you know, you're, you're trying to explain what, what the Bene Gesserit does. And they kind of just say they can, uh, the Kwisatz Haderach will, will, mend or it'll bind uh, space and time and so you're kind of like wait what the fuck i thought this guy was dead but now he's talking to him how is right. he doing this and it's it's ambiguous but it's so well done and it just leaves me wanting more 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 so um, i think that was one of the strongest things in this is the exposition right and it shows you know it's, it's kind of starts at the top they have like the very scary you know reverend mother lady you know you're like okay so they're like a a sorcery like cult <laughs> like what, voodoo mama juju <laughs> yeah that with only the ladies and so it seems kind of weird you're like whoa these people are crazy and then you know they're really powerful and even even um lady jessica says that you know like, she's like whatever you have on you i can assure you it, it won't be enough <laughs> you know like the, the she's like you have a weapon on you and i can assure you it won't be enough you're i love like, that this lady's a badass yeah and uh and i love that i think i think that's so cool and i love how you know like the whole uh there's, I have so many questions, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what I like. I don't need answers. I just like having questions. Me too. Uh, so I think that makes it more fun. I, I like the bit of mystery and how they're shrouded. And they have their garb. You know, they have all these like ceremonial uh, clothing that they wear. And it obviously means something to them to wear that sort of stuff. And I like knowing that, that that's like this little extra detail that went into it. I think that makes it a little bit more fun. Absolutely. And, and you know, like one of the things about like the armor, right? So the blue versus red. And uh, when he's fighting Gurney, he briefly explains to him how to do it. He's like, you know, slow, slow knife wins and, and like comes to kill him. Right. They don't mm-hmm. ever they don't need to be like, oh, yeah, this is a shield, a blast shield. And it does this, this and this for us, you know, like how Star Wars would say something like that. Or they're not like, you know, you have to get close. And and the reason we have these is so um, uh, guns won't or you know if they shoot us like their guns are useless and so that's why people carry bladed weapons because you have to get close to kill people and so like that's something that i learned through reading and watching youtube stuff about like it goes into the backstory of why they have their shields and it makes total sense when you think about it but you just accept it and some of the best world building is when a director's like here's what's going on or a creator's like here's what's going on and you just have to accept it Game of mm-hmm. Thrones did a really fantastic job with that. Star Wars did a really fantastic job with that. This film did a really fantastic job with that. So I I absolutely loved every minute of, of what they were doing with it. And I think DV was, yeah, he expanded a lot. So, okay. So I will go back up to question two. Thank you for uh, for jumping. So we, you know, we rarely do new releases on this show, but I have seen a growing trend in the last year. And maybe I'm reading into it a bit much, but is it because newer films have become a lot more interesting and thought provoking? Or do you feel the opposite in that maybe most new movies are just carbon copies of older cinema? Uh, as far as this podcast goes and why we're doing newer stuff, I think it just has to do with accessibility, to be honest with you. Like Irishman was on Netflix. Uh, we did that when it came out. Joker, I know it came out in October of 2019, but we recorded it in January. It was three months, but it was available already to purchase and rent which was pretty quick. And then uh, Halloween Kills we did last week, which was streaming on Peacock as well as in theaters. And then Dune, same thing, HBO Max and in theaters. So I think it just has to do with accessibility. We like to choose movies that are available for everyone to watch. Uh, obviously, lump that in with a paid service, but there's so many millions of subscribers that I'm hoping that they have yeah. <laughs> one of these subscription services. But uh, I, at the end of the day, I think it comes down to that, just literally accessibility. And 
for the most part, I enjoyed most of the movies that we <laughs> we've <Yeah>. done. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, there was the interest of seeing it as well as the ability to talk about it. So, uh, I mean, I do think that uh, it's hard to say with the recency of, of films, like if, if it's a, if anything's good or not, only because so many of the ones that I wanted to see in theaters, I did watch at home. You know, we were talking about um, Godzilla versus or Kong versus Godzilla or Kong, yeah. Godzilla versus Kong, whatever the hell it is. Um, that's a theater movie, and I watched it on my couch. Yeah, I felt, I felt <laughs> bad about that. Yeah, <laughs> Mortal Kombat, same thing. Fell asleep during that. So I mean, uh, I get, but like uh, Wonder Woman. In 1984, I would have been mad at the world I if know. I paid money to see that. <laughs> I know. That movie was terrible. Don't tell that to Patty Jenkins. She'll bite yeah, your head she'll off. Yeah, have a real problem with that. Oh, boy. Oh, my God. So, I mean, uh, it's it's tricky because we are in this sort of, you know, post-Avengers world where everything does need to just grab our attention and be amazing and be a spectacle. Um, and, and I enjoy that. I love that. It's one of my favorite things about the movies is 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 all the explosions and the tornadoes and the moon crashing into earth i like all that stuff <laughs> um but then there's a movie like this where yeah it's a big you know we talk about scope and scale and just how huge everything is but uh i, I watched this movie at home as well and i enjoyed it just as much like i thought it was fucking awesome to be able <sighs> to just watch it again right away and not pay 18 dollar imax prices you know what i mean yeah so just, this, just the score being like, rawr, 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 rawr. yeah, and, and, <laughs> and I'll cheat, you know, I, I'm lucky I have a sound bar so I can kind Same. of have a theatrical experience, you know, a large TV. So that helps. But um, I, I definitely have to be in the mood to watch something at home when it's going to be a big, crazy movie. But uh, this one worked, you know, because there's a lot of there is a lot of story and a lot of a lot of. Um, things to pick up on that you might have missed that first time. Uh, and, and this is a movie where they took their time and I think that they hit all the notes and and it is a a just a gorgeous symphony of, of cinema. I love every second of it. Totally. I'm I'm apprehensive about certain newer films and I just I don't know. Maybe it's just how I've seen it, but I I can look at a trailer and be like, ah, I don't know if I want to see that or I'm like, that doesn't look very good. And I don't know. I think your trailers might have been different than mine, but there were probably three trailers before this movie that I was like, oof, that's a hard pass for me. And they're new films. And I I do like to give things a a try, but it's pretty easy for me to learn how to kind of decide like, "Eh, I don't know if I'm going to be into that. So I think that's kind of more of what I was getting at is, is my mindset is um, I think there are certain good new films but it's hard to beat classics. So that's why we probably go back to a lot of classic ones. Cause we think about movies and we're like, Oh yeah, we should discuss this. Cause like that one's awesome. Like, Oh fuck, I forgot about Pulp Fiction or something. You know, like no one forgets about, no, no one puts Pulp Fiction in the corner, but um, it's, it, it's just, I don't it's even just remember the trailers that I saw for, for in front of Dune. So and there was like 20 of them, but I don't remember a single one. So they, I mean, to your point, that yeah, makes sense. They were all like drama films for mine. And I'm like, this doesn't seem in place for Dune. Like they just seemed like very weird movies. And I was I wasn't feeling it, but it is, you know, it is what it is. There's trailers. There was like 30 minutes of trailers, though. Yeah, it's a lot. It was a ton. Um, you know, you touched on this way earlier. And so I'm just going to change the question a little bit. But uh, you've already talked about your experience with the world of Dune. And uh, you basically said, you know, you wanted to see this because of uh, Denis Villeneuve. But 
did anything like maybe FOMO happen? Because I know you you touched that hot stove of Dune like three times and you were like, this sucks. I don't want to do this. But was this already written in the cards for you that you're like, I'm going to see this. Like, I have to see this. Or were you like, well, I just kind of want to wait a little bit and hear from a trusted source about how good it is. Like, what were what was your mindset with it? Uh, as soon as it was announced, I knew I was going to see it in the theater. Okay. Because uh, I love DV so Just because of DV. Much. Okay. Yeah, I remember I was working at Staples at the time and I was like, fuck yeah, dude. Now I'm finally <laughs> going to like Dune. And, you know, I remember talking about Geek Legacy. I'm like, I'm like, if I, if, if, if just for whatever reason the stars are not aligned and this movie falls flat with me, I am never doing another Dune thing again. <laughs> I will be Duned out. What if he did a shot for shot remake of the 84 version? <laughs> yeah. I don't, know, I don't know. I don't know about all that. Brought Sting I, back. <laughs> I would, I would probably just, just die a very painful death <laughs> like the wicked witch when she gets wet in fucking wizard of oz i would Ooh. just melt in my seat and hate every second of it oh boy uh but no i mean as soon as it was announced i was like the sicario guy all right <laughs> oh benicio Torres in it too yeah nah, he's not in it. i know right <laughs> he did josh brolin right yeah, so i had, mean he, he loves he josh uses, brolin yeah he does i like seeing um you know, directors use the same people. David cool. David Desmalchian, uh, he uses him in three of the movies too. He's in Prisoners, he's in Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and he's in this. And he dies in each one. <laughs> he dies in every fucking movie yeah, that, that guy's po- in. Polka Dot Man too. He dies. He, he's in so many things. That guy is popping up almost too much. Like I feel like I see him in every movie I watch, and it's starting to drive me a little crazy. <laughs> It's like another Ethan Hawke movie. I mean, you know, he's like yeah. in the Ant Man movies. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, he's just he's just a busy little bee. He's in Bird Box. We were just talking about Bird Box the other day. Oh god, yeah, <laughs> boy, girl, <laughs> yeah, that's so stupid. Did you see the Belko experiment by chance? Uh, no, but when I was watching Squid Game, I was immediately thinking of that because I've seen the trailer and. I have a hard time when things are uber gory. And so uh-huh. I was like, I don't know if I want to watch it or not. I, I haven't heard much about it other than I know like who's in it. So, yeah. What made you think uh, of that? He's in it. Oh, he is. Okay. Is yeah. he, is he Belko? <laughs> Sergeant, Sergeant Belko. Sergeant Belko. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie. Yeah. He's like, Bel- Doberman, Belko's you're the son I never wanted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Cool. So we talked about this too, but a lot of opinions have come from the HBO Max streaming films at home. So we have Kong versus Godzilla or whatever is Godzilla versus Kong, the Mortal Kombat movie. We have uh, Wonder Woman 84 and then this movie. So there's always the theater versus streaming war that's uh, that's kind of brewing for this past pandemic situation. You and I both saw this movie in theaters and I will personally say it is literally Justin. It is the movie that got me back into the cinema in the sense of I am ready to go. You and I both saw No Time to Die, and that was my first film in theaters in two years. I was really excited about that, but this was my first IMAX film in in said time, and I am just now absolutely in love and enamored with cinema, and so much that I bought an AMC A-list membership, and I'm just chomping at the bit to get back. I'm actually going to go see the new Wes Anderson film tomorrow night, The French Connection, and then we have um, Last Night in Soho comes out this week, Edgar Wright film, yeah. so like, dude, I am... I'm ready, man. I am just like, get me an icy and I probably won't even drink it, but I just, I, I'm ready to go. So h- how are you, how do you feel about the streaming versus theater battle? And like, if you did pick a side, which would you be on? I guess you don't have to pick a side, but uh, give me your reasons why. Sure. I mean, I'm all for the streaming model. I think that especially in a pandemic, 
I just like the idea of accessibility. I like how someone can sit at home and watch it, turn the subtitles on, uh, you know, be able to enjoy a movie from the comfort of their own home without having to spend, you know, $50 for two people to go to the movies. Uh, and I only say $50 because like when me and Alex go to the movies, it's usually at night. So mm-hmm. it's like $12 a ticket. That's $24 right there for two tickets. Then concession. And when people that get the large popcorn, <laughs> I get a large soda. She gets a large icy. Uh, we get a candy or something. So it's 50 bucks for the two of us to go to the movies. Yeah. So and in this case, since it was IMAX, it was like $18, right? It was just a little bit more money. So then it just it adds up. And so if you're able to just to watch a movie at home and then be a part of the water cooler conversation that on Monday, I think that's fucking awesome, man. So um, I'm all for the streaming model. I think it's great. I mean, as someone that loves movies and loves going to the cinema, I when I was watching Dune, there was this fucking guy that was just just shaking his fucking bonbons or whatever in the box, and I'm just like, it's like your dad eating that. popcorn. I was, it literally was, and I'm just like, fuck, don't turn around, don't look at this guy, don't give him the evil eye, don't punch him in the dick, don't do anything like that, just just sit there and enjoy this movie. Oh. I'm just like, fuck, I hate people so much. So, I mean, for that reason alone, it's enough to just immerse yourself in your living room even if that means putting the your fucking lazy boy 10 feet or, or five feet rather from your big ass tv and being <laughs> right there in it like that commercial where the, the yeah. speakers are THX blowing the guy over yeah to make <laughs> no to max make, uh, maxwell george lucas like cream in his pants you know that kind of thx sound mm-hmm. uh then go for it so i'm all for streaming i think it's fine when when people like uh your your buddy patty jenkins <laughs> Uh, has a problem with it then i just say fuck it do it anyway yeah it's more reason it's not, to do it's it. not pirated right Mm-mm. you know it's 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 no longer this victimless crime it, <laughs> it's a service that you're paying for you wouldn't steal a car <laughs> right right yeah exactly so i mean if you're paying for the service then by all means fuck it go for it and then uh, again just just that the, the thing is it's the people around you that can hinder your movie going experience right yeah so if you're paying money and you're and you finally get a night out and then and then that viewing experience is hindered because of some just jerk off in the theater, that's unfortunate because then it's going to have an impact on on the rest of your night and your day and maybe even going back to the cinema to begin with. So totally. it's it's just I'm all for it. If you can watch it at home, go for it. I will say that this is a movie that does benefit from seeing it in a theater. So if you can, I would encourage you to go. But as someone that has watched it at home, I thoroughly enjoyed it um, as well um, on my living room sofa. So I agree with you. Um, I'll I'll differ slightly just in the sense of I, I believe that this film needs to be watched in theaters. It is, um, you know, I, I actually watch it. I've seen it now technically three times because I watched it the day after I saw it. So I watched it on Sunday or maybe Saturday. Whenever I watch it like later that night too, when I came home. So um, it didn't have the same effect for me in home. And I mean, I turned up my sound bar really loud and it was it was great. But just the, the scale of everything wasn't as as awesome. And the color was a little off from what my TV was. And I mean, I have a 4K TV, but, you know, streaming can only do so much. So this definitely deserves an IMAX viewing because I just really it was one of my favorite theater experiences I've had in a very, very long time. Um, so I, I was uh, blown away by it, but I agree with you. I think the coolest thing about streaming is 
you know, you can watch it in the comfort of your own home. You can have your own food. You can take bathroom breaks. I'm a subtitle uh, watcher. I know you don't really like subtitles that much. So I, I apologize. But I mean, if the movie's in English and I speak English, then I don't like well, the subtitles. But, but if it's, if I'm watching Squid Game, yeah. then yes. I don't speak Korean. I know Komsamida. <laughs> and that's it <laughs> yeah so I, know, I have to have some i know opa on. and oma that's uh, yeah, exactly <laughs> mom and pop <laughs> but uh Appa, oma. but for me the the reason i like subtitles is because a movie like this where there's so many weird words like you know quizat tatarak and and arrakis and all these things you it's better to have subtitles in my opinion because then i learn what what the words really are um i get more of what the story is and this movie has a lot of heavy sounds where it's hard to hear certain things that they're saying. And so it's kind of muffled or they talk fast. Um, it's almost like, you know, the dark Knight rises sort of thing when, when Bane was like, blah, 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 and you have to have some, yeah, that's just, that's just Nolan. Yeah, I know. Nolan. Nolan does that all the time. So like, there's uh, not enough jets. Can we bring yeah. in more jets? How about yeah. we take the wings off this one and open up the back of the jet so no <laughs> one can hear him. And where's Matthew McConaughey when you need him? <laughs> yeah. So he's docking that ship. See, but do you um, think that movie theaters will ever have subtitles on, just because to make I it easier for everyone. I really think they should. I am a huge proponent for it because, I mean, it just allows everyone a different aspect of it. And I mean, the basic simple solution is, I mean, I think they offer, you know, the closed caption versions, but I think the basic solution is just see a different showing or don't watch it. I, I don't know. It's it's not that big of a hindrance, really. And uh, most people who are like, oh, it's so distracting. I'm like, not really. You're just reading words. You can also just look up at the screen. And if anything, it just it, it always enhances stories for me. I actually started with subtitles when I was watching The Lord of the Rings. That's how I got into it, just because there were so many weird names and weird words. And I mean, that's how I retain my information. Um, and I think a, a dense film like this needs that. So I don't need it. And I'm, you know, I'm for the streaming. Um, I've watched a lot. I don't need it and I don't want it, Zach. <laughs> I said no salmon. It's <laughs> wedding is horseshit. Want salmon. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I, I, honestly, I think I think it, it it would be cool if 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 it were on the movie screen so people could just it might as well just make it more inclusive and allow everyone absolutely. To, to enjoy the experience. Some got buzzer seats in the theaters, others have closed captioning. But the I'm I'm I don't really pick a side with the streaming wars because I see merit in both. Um, if I had to lean, I would say I'm more of a theater guy just because I've seen a lot of duds at home. And uh, I, I'm wondering now if maybe it would have changed my my perspective on those. I still think Wonder Woman 84 would have been fun to see, but I ultimately would have been really disappointed. And then same thing with like Mortal Kombat. But I still probably would have been like, oh, that was fun if I saw it on a matinee price. So I don't know. Uh, they're getting more affordable now. And I think theaters are realizing that. But. We'll What's see. more affordable? Uh, the tickets. They're getting more affordable. Are it's they? just that. Yeah. So um, AMC uh, does tickets went down or you got to buy the service to go see three movies a week. Or no tickets went down. So, I mean, the AMC a list is a great deal. And I mean, I wish it was sponsored by them, but it's twenty three dollars for three movies a week. So essentially 12 movies a month. And uh, I mean, my IMAX ticket at a discounted price because at AMC, every showing before I think 3 p.m. is 30 percent off. So or maybe 4 p.m. is 30 percent off. So my ticket for IMAX was fifteen dollars. So what's you know eight dollars more and then i get a whole month membership i could go see dune again and it pays for itself so um that's a really good deal but i mean the tickets itself like 15 bucks for an imax showing it's not that horrible if you think about it man was 18 dollars yeah they get they can be real expensive i think the one in seattle there's a northgate cinema at at a regal it's 22 dollars for imax and i'm like nope hard pass so they're they're working on stuff but um 
yeah, anyways, well, moving on. Th- uh, this is a fully loaded cast. They got uh, all the toppings, see? Ton of A-listers that are in this film, and Justin listed them all earlier. Sometimes this can be a big issue because several talented actors could be wasted for very small parts. Zendaya was in the film for seven minutes, is what you said. So sometimes that can be an issue. But how did you feel about all the actors' performances? Were you bummed or were you bored by anybody? No, I thought everybody did good. Um, it is interesting. The name Duncan Idaho, it sounds so weird. And then when, <laughs> you, Montana. See, when you see <laughs> Jason Momoa, there's a silliness that sort of takes over. But I think he did a great job. Uh, I really like it when he's in his uh, Fremen gear. I yeah, such like a such a badass. Even like um, Javier Bardem, you know, when he's sitting on the rock as they're all about to duel to the death and everything, he just looks like a total creeper, and I love it. Like he just looks like the sand assassin type guy, and I'm here for it. That was yeah, cool. I agree. I think everyone had uh, you know knocked out of the park, and you love Oscar Isaac. I do too. He kind of got oh, to a so point good. when I was uh, getting kind of tired of him and um, uh, the Mandalorian. Pedro Pascal, because I'm like, man, they're in everything. But then movies like this, I'm like, dude, he he was only in the movie for, you know, X amount of minutes, but he did such a good job in this role. And I loved him like when he's paralyzed there laying and it's just a single tear goes down his face. I mean, that man is quite an actor. He mm-hmm. is uh, he is incredible. And if you haven't seen it inside Lewin Davis, you totally should. I think it's one of his best performances he's ever done. I like his beard. Yeah, he has a fantastic beard. beard. He just (laughs) he he played a real good father figure. And I mean, you know, he he obviously cared about Jessica and he it's so hard to portray someone who, you know, your impending doom is near. But he he went with it in stride. And I mean, he's like, we're we're set up. This is crazy. This is there's got to be something going on. They're, they're right. in cahoots. Them two boys yeah. are in cahoots. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then even like Josh Brolin, like, uh, yeah, he's not in the movie very much either. No. Um, but when he's like, uh, smile, Gurney, he's like, I am smiling. I am smiling. <laughs> he played Josh Brolin. Face. Yeah. He yeah, lived the same so Josh good. Brolin role always. Oh, my God. And, you know, it's funny because like Josh Brolin's been making movies since the day I was born. And, um, I think it was like No Country for Old Men when I just fell in love with him. I thought he was so fucking good in that movie. And uh, like when he's sitting on the couch and his wife's like, I'll never talk to you again or something like that. He's like, that'd be fine. (laughs) He says something like that. And it's like just off the cuff. And I think it's so fucking funny. I love it to death. And he's just so... Lewin? I Uh, forget what his name uh, is. Llewellyn Moss. Llewellyn Moss. That's it. Yeah. Uh, my God, he's so fucking funny. I, I love that man. He's so cool. And then when they, when it was announced that he was Thanos, I was like, totally. I yeah. get it. It's yeah. great. He Do did it. a great job as Thanos. Like, I, mm-hmm. you know, I can't picture anybody else doing Thanos. It's just, you know, this does please me. It's right. very, very Josh Brolin. And, and he did such a great job with it. And same with this, you know, he's the grizzled security guard. And but he. He, he he just encompasses that role so well. And I mean, I know I, I agree with you. The Duncan Idaho name is always kind of one that you're like, oh, it's kind of caught off guard. But Momoa is fantastic in it. Uh, my mm-hmm. buddy Aaron was complaining that it just seemed weird because, you know, he just kept thinking of uh, Cal Drago and Aquaman. I'm like, yeah, those are characters he played. And usually that's what an actor <laughs> is associated with, like who they played. Yeah, but, but Cal Drago, he's, he doesn't joke. He's yeah. just a serious yeah. killer man. Whereas this one, he was like having fun. He was like, uh, you know, the rock star hotshot, 
badass you know what i mean and, so and he seemed like a loyal person and i felt you know like i, I in the books you, you know you know when he dies but it still didn't make it any easier watching it and the whole you know salute thing he did and i'm just like no duncan yeah so yeah when it was interesting because like uh when it when when paul is talking about his dreams and you see a glimpse of it at the beginning of the movie when he when he sees duncan for the first time and then you know there's that the little bug on the on the sand and then there's the hallway mm-hmm. and then when he meets up with him and they walk through the hallway and it shows like the the plants and then the and then the bug like no i know, I know. which which well, the first time i watched it i don't think i i noticed that um but then when i watched it the second time i'm just connecting so many additional dots that were always there yeah. i just didn't i didn't know what to look for you know what i mean so uh, this movie definitely benefits from a rewatch. Absolutely. Um, and, and feel free to watch it a, a million times if you want to. That's because I feel like you're going to see things that you didn't notice before. And, it, and it, it tells you everything that you need to know. That's the cool thing about it, which the first time I watched it, I, I heard all the words that they said. I just wasn't listening to the words that they said. Because <laughs> you're too busy so, turning your head left and right, watching the entire screen. <laughs> right. I was a little busy with all the <laughs> all the magic and the flying. And and so when I watched it the second time, they they literally every single yeah. spoken word in mm-hmm. this movie is is either a clue or it is a, a direct um, you know plot thread. So there's there's no there's nothing that's wasted in this movie, which I think is fantastic. And I'm a, I'm a sucker for stuff like that. You know, every yeah. once in a while, Tarantino has not every once in a while, every movie that he makes, he has a scene that doesn't need to be in there, but it's in there because it's funny and it's good. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, whereas with this movie, they had uh, only so many minutes to tell this first part of the story and, and all of it matters, which I think is cool. Yeah. And Rebecca Ferguson, I absolutely love her, saw her in the, you know, the Mission Impossible series. And I just thought she was so great. And I absolutely loved her in this. And she knocked out of the park as Lady Jessica. I mean, I felt for her. Those tears felt real. Obviously, she has all this confliction. Um, I won't tell you because I know stuff that happens later on. But um, yeah, she's me or the audience. You or anybody else. (laughs) I've seen I've seen a full version of the movie and an extended version of the full version of the movie. (laughs) Well, I don't think we should spoil it just for the sake of it. But but um, yeah, it's uh, she's she's just she did such a great job. And I mean, Timothy Chalamet is like we're quickly seeing this this protege, this this person who's just a a beautiful boy, a fantastic actor. Yeah, I heard the movie is really sad, but. Yeah, he did a very good Paul Atreides. I'll just put it mm-hmm. that way. And uh, one of my favorite aspects of Dune 2021 is there is a theme that I noticed whilst watching communication, specifically language. It's used throughout the film in a myriad ways. There are so many different types of language in this. Uh, there's sign language, there's throat speech, and then there's the native frame and tongue even. Did you notice any of this? And I don't know, like, what do you think this film's trying to say about communication? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think you wouldn't, I think you'd have to be trying really hard not to pay attention to notice all the cool different language that existed in this movie. But I think, um, like, the sign language thing I thought was really cool. Um, I do know that the Bene Gesserit have their own little communicado way. They have, like, a secret language. Um, But I don't know how her guard would know what that language is when she's like, Exactly. She's like, yeah. hold on, just Prepare back off for a second. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, just, just chill out. Take two <laughs> steps back, you know. Um, I think that was just added for the movie. But um, I, I think that the lesson here is that 
you know, we hear the word outworlder, you know, like you're just, you don't, you don't belong on this planet, right? So we have all these different cultures uh, from different planets coming together and we all have something to benefit from learning from one another. And you can't just assume that everyone's just going to fucking speak your language. Uh, You're always going to be ignorant if you feel that way. And I do think that because this universe is so big, it is absurd to think that there's only one way to communicate. And so I do think that even we today, uh, you know, have to deal with it. We were just talking about subtitles on films, right? Um, I don't know sign language. I got a book to help me learn because I want to teach my child sign language so we can communicate when he doesn't have the words yet. I think that's pretty cool. Um, so I, I think that there is just so in most cases, we have so much to learn from each other, whether that's, uh, you know, for better or worse, maybe even what not to do or how not to be to somebody else. But you <laughs> yeah. can learn that like, you know, Texas or Florida, perfect example from that. I can learn from them by not doing what the fuck they do over there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I do think that it's cool. And I, I think a lot of his movies have to deal with language and communication. Arrival, same Arrival. thing. They're figuring out this language. Sicario, same thing. They're in, they go to another country mm-hmm. to extract a, a guy, right? Like a criminal. And they're speaking Spanish, and we don't know what the fuck they're saying. I mean, I mean, if you speak Spanish, sure, you do. But, I mean, your average uh, you know, movie watcher might not speak multiple languages. And so it, it adds this weird dynamic to things where you don't necessarily know what's going on. And I think that that's great for the characters and the audience because we're learning together. I think that's really cool. Absolutely. And um, I think the reason I think I'm so for all the reasons you said and then and this too, I think a a really cool uh, point is that this is a very uh, talky film. Uh, A lot of, like I said, exposition and story goes into it. I mean, it's all about politics. And and that's even what Leto was saying. You know, we need you for this political move. Um, You have to unite the Fremen. We need desert power. And um, so Paul relies on communication in order to to do what he needs to do. So do the Bene Gesserit. I mean, it's even exemplified in the fact that the Bene Gesserit can use their voice to literally manipulate people. And that, Mm -hmm. to me, honestly, was actually my favorite scene when he, you know, he's like, um, he's like, remove her gag or whatever, and does the actual Bene Gesserit voice. And then as soon as she removes it or he removes it from Jessica, she screams, kill him. You know, I thought that was such a fun way of basically like how Jedi mind tricks work. We never really get to see what happens in that person's head. And in this movie, we get we get to see what happens and you're like, holy shit, that was scary. So I absolutely love it. And I think it's um, a lot can be said about uh, about our words and the power of communication and uh, especially in a very politically heavy film like this. So I, I think it was deliberate. And I think that um, th- there's a lot of it when you rewatch it, you can see the things that they do, like cones of silence that um, that that Reverend Mother does, uh, just the duplicity of Baron Harkonnen's language, everything else uh, behind it, the Sardaukars, the throat breathings, it's, um, it's all deliberate and it's all there for a reason. And I think it was one of my favorite things of this of this movie is just how how much of a focus there was on it. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's pretty cool. And that's just something I noticed. But yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think it's fucking awesome. I, I mean, everything about this movie is cool, even when, uh, you know, numbers and science, you know, play into it a lot, too. And uh, we don't really get a whole lot of that, except when they're adding up figures and yeah. and the numbers and number crunching and stuff like that. Um, so it is kind of cool that there's this whole other 
side of things that we're going to learn. Obviously, with this with the second movie, you know, we were talking earlier about people that you know, big actors that had small parts, and it's a small part for part one. But yeah. once we have the second movie, you know, there's still a couple of fates that we don't know what happened. Uh, you know, there's obviously uh, Zdenia's character; uh, she's going to play a big, a big uh, part in the second film. So, I mean, it's all it's all setting the stage. And uh, it's it's pretty crazy. And and I like yeah. how he left us wanting more. It wasn't, you know, we talked earlier last, or I think it was last week, talking about, you know, uh, cliffhangers and, and how that can be annoying. But when there's resolution, uh, then it, it changes the dynamic of the ending of the film to where totally. in this movie, yes, there was that big invasion. The House of Trades is all but wiped out. But uh, the movie left us with a very positive note you know there was you know seeing uh, a worm rider be like holy <laughs> that was shit, cool like, this yeah. is about to go down and i don't know if yeah. you noticed this or not but um doctor what's her name leah kines kines yeah she had she the had little the hooks. grip claws yeah yep. yeah so she was called she hit her little thumper device and oh yeah and she was ready to go riding some oh. waves some tasty waves and yeah. uh and enjoy a cool buzz and um you know, obviously that didn't happen, but she was ready. And I was like, fuck, that's how cool. <laughs> so I, I'm and, excited. And Star Wars, I mean, George Lucas admitted he he took a lot of Dune uh, directly to make his films too. Like he took a lot of the same ideas. And you look at any other epic films too. I'm thinking of, uh, you know, Avatar when he first uh, fuses with the dragon thing and, and learns how to fly it. That was a pretty amazing scene. Uh, Game of Thrones, you know, the first time you get to see Khaleesi riding the dragons. Um Star Wars, you know, the X-Wing battles or whatever, maybe first time he gets to use a lightsaber. So I think there's there's big first in that. And this got me real excited for sure. But I I mean, I knew that that was going to happen, but I just seen it. I'm like, oh, this is cool. The fact that mm-hmm. they can just ride these manipulate like the Fremen. There's more than meets the eye to these people like they know what to do. This is their desert. And Kynes even says it. She's like, I'm Fremen. The desert is my home. And so um, it's. It's pretty badass, so I agree with you, man. I'm I'm super pumped about it, but right, and even yeah. even one of Paul's visions, you know, he's fighting with the Fremen, and they're on like another planet, like mm-hmm. it, it, it's it looks like another planet. So it's cool, like in in Lord of the Rings, in Fellowship, when when Frodo looks in the the Gladriel's little puddle of juice, and he's able to see like the future that hasn't happened yet, and we're seeing like these moments in the movie. Where like where the story could go, I think that's always really exciting. You're like, oh, is that from the third movie? Is that from the second movie? Are we <laughs> gonna see that? You know, like stuff like that. I always think that's really exciting. His visions. So his visions confused me the first time around. I mean, I I, I kind of got what it was, but they were just jumping around a bunch. But uh, definitely on the second time, it makes way more sense because you know he's he's supposed to be uh, the Kwisatz Haderach who who can bridge time and space. And so when like when um he's trying to basically learn how to like when they're flying the ornithopter. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, Jamis or Jamis is, is telling him just let go. And you're like, wait a minute, this is the guy that's coaching him, but he wants to kill him now. So that's what he means is, is he's seen like a doctor strange moment. This is an, um, a future that could have happened, but he doesn't necessarily need to follow that. Or like when Paul is about to fight, uh, Jamis, he sees himself get stabbed. He doesn't necessarily have to see that. He's seen what could possibly happen mm-hmm. and it's a, uh, it's real fascinating. And I mean, the way I looked at it too, is this Paul Atreides arc is not like a typical heroic arc, like a Luke Skywalker. 
I mean, he knows what will happen. I mean, there will be bloodshed in his name and uh, this religious war will be battled for ages um, in his uh, in his in his name, in the Atreides name. And he's not for it. But yet when he kills Jamis, he's like, I know what I need to do and continues on with it. And I think that's so fascinating uh, just to dive into. But I, I'm not going to mm-hmm. get into that too, too much because and he has the he has the blue eyes. I know. Like, too much. So much uh, time has passed. It's like too, how too much, much puffing of that spice you got to do before melange, you get man. The, the blue eyes. He's got the that good, twin. good, that good, good yeah. cinnamon. <laughs> so well, and then finally, one of the coolest things about Dune is just how vast the world and backstory is. Like I, we've alluded to all episode, um, it's so large that there's really no way in hell uh, Denis Villeneuve could even fit the first book into one film. I appreciate the hell out of this, especially since I'm only halfway through the book. But much like Game of Thrones or Star Wars, the history is more easily understood by reading or watching YouTube. Am I right? So <laughs> YouTube is good. It, it, it serves its purpose. Do you I think watch Dark Souls videos on? Of the YouTube. course you do. I watch like a lot of movie breakdown stuff. Do you think you'd ever start reading the Dune series, Justin? Uh, okay, <laughs> so <laughs> the the closest I've ever come to reading a Dune book happened. As I was walking out of the movie theater to see this movie, after I saw the movie, like, <laughs> I was so pumped. Like I'm looking up like Chris Blades and and fucking I want to just cut the vato and be all excited and have weapons and I want to I want to cosplay as as a fremen and I'll be the fat guy even though I have the body type like fucking Por- Scarsgard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just float around in a robe. Be like, <laughs> you be Baron Harkonnen. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, spice. You have a good kitchen and, cousin, <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm I'm into it, man. Like I'm I'm like ready for fucking doing the the breakfast cereal, doing the 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 flamethrower. I want all that stuff. So as of right now, yes, I could see myself reading the first book, and it, and it and if I did, let's just pretend for a second that I got through whatever it is, seven hundred pages of this book, Uh and if. I wanted to read the next one. That would be a pretty, pretty big deal. I can't imagine I would ever read the second book, but stranger things have happened. But I, I, (laughs) I've never in a billion years wanted to read Dune until I saw this version of the movie. Yeah, I, I, I I felt like I just needed to. So that's why I did it. And um, I mean, I I enjoy it a lot. It it is real wordy. It does definitely help that there's a movie now. And especially the fact that I can picture the characters when I'm reading it. So Mm -hmm. like I'll be able to see it in the book, like Kynes is a man. But for just the sake of this, I'm imagining, you know, the actress who played who played Kynes, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Sharon Duncan Brewster as kinds and so that that helps quite a bit <clears throat> and it just kind of puts a name to a face because there are so many names again just like game of thrones there are so many names in it but yeah i mean it's it's a solid read i don't blame you for for not really wanting to but i but i was on the hype train also as soon as i left i was like i i, I gotta do something <laughs> i was like i need to go get some worms or something like that yeah I don't know. i'm like i need blades i need masks i need that little nose breather thing me too I need a scuba suit and I need a hunter seeker. Start <laughs> spitting at everybody I meet. I'm yeah. all excited. <laughs> Thank you for giving me your moisture, sir. <laughs> yeah. Aren't I the popular one? Exactly. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I talked about it too earlier uh, in breaking news. Dune Part 2 has been approved for production. And uh, it says, let's, I mean, potentially October 2023. So that's two years from now, Justin. Are you, will, yeah. are you able to wait for that? I can, I can wait. I I have patience. I mean, this whole year just blew by so fucking fast. I can't believe it's already November. I'm blown away at how fast time is is going. 
And there's something to be said about the older you get, the quicker time goes. And I'm kind of depressed about that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like, fuck, I'm going to be dead in like 40 years and I'm 41. So I'm just like running out of time. And it makes me sad. And so, yeah, when I when I just think of fast forwarding to 2023, I'm just like, that's not even that far. (laughs) I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. Exactly. Andy Bernard. Yeah, um, it's, it's the yeah. whole like uh, there are more years behind me than there are in front of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that makes me sad to think about. Well, cheer up and watch Dune again. It'll make you happy. <laughs> yeah, watching all these people die is pretty great. Yeah, like, this cold uh, planet in space. Well, actually, it's hot, but at nighttime, it's cold. Exactly. Go uh, go kill a Shai Halud and make yourself a Chris knife. Get a right, right. Get a, get a tooth. Look at this worm tooth. This is pretty good. Yeah, it was well, autographed right on the blade, folks. <laughs> on the blade, you uh, you battled somebody and you won it. <laughs> Keep what you kill. That's, uh, that's Chronicles of Riddick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, jeez. Sweet. Well, that's all I have to say about Dune twenty twenty one without getting too in you know, in depth and out of my out of, league. I don't need spoilers. <laughs> well, it's just, it's one of those things that I'm like, I don't want to start saying things that I basically copy and pasted from, from the internets uh, because I'm not qualified to speak like that. Like our buddy Rob is, is sounds like he's pretty well versed in it. So yeah, he is a SME, a subject matter expert. That's in right. The world of Dune. And so uh, this was a fun take on two Dune noobs. Yeah, exactly. So what are your final thoughts and your letter grade? Love it. think it's amazing. Can't wait to watch it again. I probably will do so this weekend. Um, that'll be thrice Dunes. Thrice Dunes wait. And I'm very <laughs> So many Chris knives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got a stretch coat with all these pockets. Hold on. Like Denny Trejo in uh, Desperado. <laughs> Exactly. Um, And I give this movie an A. I love it so freaking much, which is saying a lot considering I hate the world of the dunes. But now I'm a dooner. I I got it. I got the bug. I got the dune bug. Dooner alone. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Welcome to Dunes Day. Hey, that sounds kind of good. Dunes Day. Doomsday. Uh, I agree with you, man. This is an A plus for me. This is, uh, I mean, it's a nine out of ten. I think it's 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 damn near a masterpiece. I was blown away when I saw it, and I nine out of ten's a ninety. That's an A minus. That's an A plus for me. Extra credit. <laughs> it gets extra credit. It gets extra credit. A ten. A ten would be an A plus, but a nine the, out of ten. The only a reason D. That's an A minus. The only reason it's not a ten right now is because I need to see what part two looks like because then it's essentially a whole film. But I have the most confidence in the world in uh, the utmost confidence in the world in DV to uh, continue on with the story. I was so elated leaving the theater and I like called friends. I was just trying to talk with them. It just, it's so cool. I'm ready to go back to Arrakis. Like, dude, have you seen this? You heard about this? Yeah. <laughs> Showed on at the rec center. What is yeah. it? Lockdown at the rec center. Lockdown so, at the rec center. Yeah. Um, anyways, that's it. That's all I got. Are we done? Wait, take us out. Cool. Thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy Podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter at DBCrazyPod, at EdgyArmo, and at ZachDale60, where you can share your thoughts with us, and we will discuss them on our show. Please give us some movie recommendations. Uh, we like streaming, obviously, and we can uh, we can focus on that for our next show. If you do listen to us on Apple Podcasts, on one of the many platforms we have, please scroll all the way to the bottom. Give us a little five-star rating. You can leave a review. That helps us a ton. 
please also be sure to check out the Geek Legacy podcast with David, Randy, and Justin. And it's great. A lot of nerdy stuff they talk about. Just please don't be crazy. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much.